0: So we're looking at chapter 9 in uh, Conversation with Christ and the title of the chapter, The Conversation, the Heart of Meditation. And we could potentially name this other things, right? Contact with Christ, the heart of meditation. Communion with Christ, the heart of meditation. Um, this being with the other, the heart of meditation. And so everything leads to this, right? And we want to just remember that the, that conversation is, is just a wide term, right? It doesn't have to be this sort of human thing. And so we have, hopefully, the consideration that we talked about yesterday uh, supplied some sort of point uh, for colloquy. Colloquy meaning an inter, in, ex, interchange, right? Exchange which is actually the word that Ignatius of Loyola uses specifically in the exercises, part of the, the, sort of the, the method that he gives at the end of various meditations is uh, a colloquy. And he tells you how to do it. First, talk to Our Lady and talk to her about these things. Then talk to Jesus and talk to her about these things. Then talk to the Father and talk to him about these things. But, so, but the point is, in some way, this interchange, right? Um, and so hopefully something has come, that's, has come up that's sort of moved us to want to speak to Christ about something. And uh, an important point that's mentioned in the book, at this point, the one meditating begins to talk slowly, sincerely, and directly to Christ about the significance and nature of the event. So whatever moves one, you want to talk to Jesus about it. But I, lo- I really like these adjectives and they are repeated by various spiritual writers, right? Slowly, sincerely, directly to Christ, right? This sort of gentle moving through prayer. There can be things that can be sort of very powerful in prayer at times, but this general principle that one should allow one's prayer to be in sort of a gentle or, uh, way is the typical way that we would want to understand. Often, it's, it's a sign of the, 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 the bad spirit, as Ignatius would say, or somehow the enemy working, which could just mean our own human fa- fallen human nature, right? So it doesn't have to be something specifically of a spiritually uh, negative source, but it's that spirit, right? The spirit of the flesh that tends to be agitated, disquieted, want to rush things or be rough, right? And so we just need to be careful, like the kind of sort of spirit, and I'm saying that in quotation marks, but the sort of attitude that we enter into the conversation with, right? And so um, it's important to be reminded again that the conversation does not have to be expressed vocally, right? That would make holy hour extremely interesting. Right. Imagine everybody, like, all of a sudden, about 10, 15 minutes into, you know, holy hour, 20 minutes in. Jesus, I love you. I love the way that you did that in the gospel today. Thank you. And, you know, then somebody else kicks off over there and, you know, that would be pretty, pretty disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that was a cool idea. I like that, Jesus. I like... So, obviously, and it's not that maybe at times certain actual speaking words out loud could be helpful. But generally speaking, in meditation, that's not what we do, right? And so, and just to say, like, especially for those of us who, who spiritually can be more introverted, right, <laughs> in some sense, like, we shouldn't feel this overwhelming need to fill up the time with a lot of words. That the idea really should be, there's maybe some sort of way that I speak to the Lord but then I leave space or silence or I stop speaking. That if it's just this constant sort of monologue of me talking to Jesus about the, the thing that moved me, that's not really what we're looking for, right? Because a conversation indicates an exchange, right? And so, uh, just to some quotation here, we should have liberty to divide into periods of conversation and periods of simple, silent attention to Christ, right? Right? And, you know, to divide time, I would never suggest to somebody, okay, so five minutes you, five minutes Jesus. Okay, here we go. Beep! You know, you set your stopwatch. Okay, so Jesus, I really like that thing about the gospel. and now Okay, now it's your turn. Right? No, but it should be something more hopefully natural, and I say that in quotation marks, but simply sort of led. Like, you're moved to say something, so you speak to the Lord about it, and then you allow yourself to fall back into a place of silence. And um, so Teresa says, we must not tire ourselves by going in search of such ideas. We must sometimes remain by his side with our minds hushed in silence. He has no desire that we tire out our brains by a great deal of talking. If only we can realize that we are in his presence. Right, so this idea of St. Teresa of representar to represent, meaning to be present, to make present again, that Christ would be present to us again. And so that we don't want to be talking so much that we lose our focus on his presence to us. And that in a real sense, our words can be few if there is this capacity to just be present to him in quiet. Jesus really likes that a lot, right? We may not be ready to stay there with him for long periods of time, or we may be, but this is something that's important, right? So in the conversation, we don't want to feel like we have to talk too much, but rather we should allow ourselves to be inclined towards silence, towards this listening. The book um, mentions the the possibility of utilizing these sort of traditional uh, four kinds of prayer, so, like, what should I do in a conversation, right? Uh, so I learned, this, this was probably in my Protestant uh, days. I was never Protestant, but I hung out with evangelicals a lot. A-C-T-S, Acts, Adoration, Contrition, Thanksgiving, Supplication, or Petition. I think the, the order in the book here is, is slightly different, although I'm, it's escaping me. At the Oh, here we go. Adoration, Thanksgiving, Contrition, Petition. Um, and so if one needs to, you know, like, it's really what's helpful, brothers, right? So if, if you feel the need to have sort of different things, like, so in the, in, the, in the consideration part, there's those different questions. Who, what, where, when, you know, who is this, for whom is he suffering, why is it happening, where is it, what's... So if those questions are necessary to help to spur things on in your heart, then you use them. If sort of splitting your prayer up and in your vocal, or in this sort of conversation part, if, you, if it's helpful for you to go, I, I'm going to try a time of adoration now. Now maybe I will try a time of contrition. Lord, I'm sorry for the way that I haven't. So like, let's say, again, you're, you're at the nativity and you're struck by the humility of God. And so maybe that humility of God is the thing that you're bringing in. You're like, you want to talk to Jesus about that now. And you, and you, you begin by, by, you know what, a contrition. Yeah, like, Lord, I'm sorry for the ways that, like, I don't want to be born in a stable, and I'm not okay with the straw, and I'm not okay with just Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. I want crowds, and I want to be praised, and I'm sorry for that, you know? And then maybe you're like, okay, in a time of adoration, and just to move into, just like, Jesus, I adore you, you know, and I, and I love your humility, and I love the way that you you've made yourself small for me, right? So it's If that sort of like moving through things is helpful to you, it can be beautiful, right? But we ought not... These are all like helpful suggestions, and I'm certainly not one, unless there's a real need, I certainly wouldn't be one to impose too much on somebody's prayer. These are ways that can help us, but we really should speak according to one's disposition, our hearts, our dispositions, where we're being led. Um... Some other quotations from the book here. We are to speak to our Lord as to an intimate friend, simply and slowly. Those adjectives again, simply, slowly. Following the inclination of our present mood and the inspiration of divine grace. If no satisfactory affection seems to be forthcoming on a particular day, we are not to wrestle with ourselves until we squeeze out some sentiment of love or gratitude. Right? On such occasions it will be quite enough to acknowledge humbly to our Lord our weakness and spiritual poverty. So while we want to be very attentive to what's going on in the level of the heart, it's not to be, I have to get something to happen in my heart. Right? No, it should be allowing that to come. Allowing it to happen within me. And if my heart just feels like dead, and I just don't even want to be there with him, to just say that to him. Lord, this is all I have, and this is with your grace. Imagine if I didn't have your grace. I wouldn't even be able to sit here in the chapel. Thank you that you put up with this heart, right? We don't have to squeeze anything out. No, I'm going to make myself feel like I love you, Lord. No, like today, I feel like I have nothing. But in faith, I say thank you that you still love me, that you still gaze on me with delight when I feel nothing for you. And I wish it was different, but here I am, right? So we want to, do, and, and so if, if there's nothing happening, right, we don't want to get flustered about that. That's the enemy. He wants to lead you into discouragement. He wants to lead you into agitation. So you want to give yourself fully in prayer. You want to really be present and allow yourself to be moved. But if it doesn't happen, we just acknowledge I'm weak and I'm poor, but I'm yours. That's a great prayer. And let me say this, brothers. While I am have, have not inside the spiritual lives of any one of the saints, right? Adrian von Speyer apparently had that mystical gift. That's not me. I am not Adrian von Speyer, in case anybody was confused about such things. I'm sure that every saint in their lives prayed this prayer. Jesus, I am weak, I am poor, I have nothing, but I'm yours. I'm sure every saint has prayed that prayer, so we never ought to be ashamed to pray that also. And the point of this whole prayer is to arrive at contact with Jesus, to increase our communion with him, our friendship with him. So when I use the word communion, often we think of communion like communion, like I'm going to go to Mass and receive communion, which is absolutely correct. But really, communion is what God is all about. Like, communion is what the Trinity is all about. It's all about this union, this interconnectedness between the three persons of the Trinity. And we, in, our, in the amazing humility of God, are invited into that communion. So my personal prayer is one way of strengthening this personal communion, friendship with Jesus. This is how Teresa of Avila will often describe this friendship with him. While always reverent, but still friendship. And so the book simply says something that I'm sure you guys are all extremely aware of. First of all, prayer is about increasing our friendship, our contact, our communion. And only secondarily, about petition right? It's really, first of all, this openness, allowing God to take me as he wants, and then entrusting to him petitions that I may have. Now, I'll explain why that's nuanced a little bit, but the point is is a valid one. This is a great quotation. This is from page 51. Some, bless her, some anonymous Carmelite nun wrote this one, and I would suggest this is uh, the the top quotation, that you pray for the grace to know what the heck she's talking about. A real change in our attitude will only occur when we change the central object of our attention and when instead of that object being the self, it comes to be God. When less and less we find ourselves asking God to work miracles for us and take instead to asking what we can do for him when rather than watching God to see what gift he will produce for us, we begin to wait on God to see what, if anything, we can give to him. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't ask for God in prayer, that we shouldn't ask for graces, because I'm going to teach you that, and you've got to listen to your novice director, right? But anyways, but this is, right, that, 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 that thing that I've drawn on, the, drawn on the board twice now that I won't draw a third time, so, so our class facilitator doesn't have too much work. <laughs> but so like the person and then God, and then the whole point is that our attention, like our drawing, being drawn, this awareness, this consciousness more and more of the Lord and not it being turned back on myself, and that's what she's saying, right? And, and I would just, I, I, would, I would hazard to say, hazard the guess that most of us still don't really know what this looks like. That we really need to beg God for the grace that our attitudes would shift so that the central object of our attention... What is that like when the central object of my attention is no longer me? That's that's big-time grace. That's big-time grace, right? Pray for that. That's a big one in this chapter, I think. But what's this whole point of meditation? Is to allow that to start to happen more and more. Is that God would would woo away from my looking at myself, that he would woo my attention to himself, that he would love me enough that I begin to trust him, that he becomes more and more the center of my focus. Right. Okay. Now, a very important question that I'll spend some time on here. This is on page 52. The question, does God speak to us? Does Christ respond to our conversation? Does he converse with us in prayer? Right? And so, of course, all of us would say, yeah, he does, but what is that like? And if I, if I mention to you that the preparation for prayer was one of the things that I think I really gleaned from this book that was helpful to me when I read it a while ago now, I would say this is another point in the book that has continued to really strike me and to to just clarify for me things that are probably clear for most people in the world, but I'm a little bit dense, right? Which is what? How does God speak to us? Because, you know, I, I sort of, I had some time in charismatic circles and it just seemed like God was talking to everybody except for me. They're like, the Lord says this to me and that, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I must be the the idiot here, you know, like the deaf guy, right? But I think for so many years, I was expecting it to be one way and it was there in just a totally different way than I thought, right? And so Teresa just offers something. So Teresa, St. Teresa of Jesus, teaches us that God speaks to us when we pour out our hearts to him, but we need not think that God makes himself heard in an audible manner. So here's an interesting thing. St. John of the Cross, very clear teaching on this one. He says, if you're hearing God with your physical, actual ears, or seeing a vision with your physical eyes, that is the least trustworthy way of God communicating with you. So don't want that, right? The more interior, the more trustworthy. John of the Cross, he's pretty, he's pretty tough on a lot of this stuff, but we won't get into that right now. But we shouldn't think that, like sometimes it happens, and God can speak to us that way, but it's not going to be audible most of the time. So how does he speak to us? He answers us by sending us graces of light and of love, whereby we understand his ways better and burn with desire to embrace them generously. Listening, therefore, consists in accepting these graces and striving to profit by them. So presumably, when you were in novitiate, postulancy, which you've been in, novitiate, you're presently in, don't worry, I got this all straight, somebody, probably Brother Elijah, maybe Father Innocent, some other people, talked to you about thoughts, feelings, and desires as basically the stuff that make up your interior experience. Yes? No? No? Yes. Okay. Thoughts, feelings, desires. When you, like if you have an experience, your experience interiorly is made up of these things, basically. Right? It's hard to have an experience if it's not at least one of these three things, or probably all three. All of these are connected. The thing that I had the impression of, I think, for so many years, and I don't want to overstate this, but but here's really sort of the insight of of Teresa of Jesus, of Francis of Assisi, of Ignatius of Loyola, of John of the Cross, is that the thoughts can be interesting, but oftentimes God doesn't communicate simply by thoughts, or maybe even primarily by thoughts, but rather by certain kinds of feelings and definitely by desires. Hmm. So I was waiting all these years for all of these incredible thoughts to come into my head, of God speaking to me, like boom-ba-boom-ba-boom-ba-boom-ba-boom, like all these words. God does speak like that, but even that needs to be discerned by considering what are the feelings, what kind of feelings, and what are the desires that accompany those thoughts. And sometimes, and this is the idea of consolation-desolation, Ignatius of Loyola, spiritual consolation, and desolation... Certain uh, writers speak about how it's actually the feelings that come first, right? And sometimes the feelings come without a thought. And that in many ways, God speaks more through the spiritual feelings, which need to be discerned, and we'll talk about this in another class. And so, like, there's different levels of our feeling, of our affective, meaning Feeling experience. There's different levels of that, and we need to discern it well, because you may wake up on Sunday morning, have a big cup of coffee and a nice chocolate chip cookie, and you may feel great. You're like, God is talking to me now. (laughs) I hear you, Lord. I'm going to have another cup of coffee, and you're going to really talk to me. No, you're just feeling good because you just drank some caffeine, right? And so we can't think that every good feeling is God speaking to us. That would be a huge mistake. But rather, and this is, this is sort of the point here, right? Listening consists in accepting these graces, accepting the light and love, love, right? Whereby we understand his ways better and burn with desire to embrace them generously. And now I'll, I'll read a quotation from St. Alphonsus. He will then speak to you, this is page 53, He will then speak to you by such inspirations, such interior lights. so that would be a thought, such manifestations of his goodness, such sweet touches in your heart, that sounds like a feeling, such tokens of forgiveness, such experience of peace, such hopes of heaven, such rejoicings within you, such sweetness of his grace, such loving and close embraces, in a word, such voices of love, as are well understood by those souls whom he loves and who seek for nothing but himself alone. And so, one of the things we want to do in a conversation is leave space, because sometimes we may fill the conversation with so much of our own words that we don't even leave space for him to begin to move in some of the desires and the feelings and his own thoughts, these lights, but the lights of God will always be accompanied by a certain kind of experience. So people come in a direction and they go, yeah, Father, you know, God told me this and told me this. And I say, what happened in your heart when that thought came to you? Because that's going to that's influence things. And it's not always just, oh, yeah, no, I felt good. And so, oh, okay, that must be God. No, 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 it's more nuanced. It's more nuanced. But this is a way that the Lord wants to speak to us. So when we're in prayer, this is why this attentiveness to what's going on in the heart is so important. Because maybe a thought does come to you in prayer. But what happens in your heart? What happens in your heart? Because the enemy with desolation could give you the same thought could give you the same thought as God, but the experience of the feeling will be very different. Now, just a real quick thing here. Well, let's see here. Well, let's read St. Peter just in case he has some other things to say that I really thought was important. Boom. St. Peter of Alcántara, when we were talking about what is this chapter five, nope, it's chapter certain counsels which should be observed in meditation. Important. The means cease when the end is attained. So what's the end? What's the goal of meditation? Stop reflection and rest in enjoyment of that affection then given. That's what Peter, St. Peter of Alcantara says. What's the goal of meditation? Is the affection given? Is the move of the heart? Is the change of the will? And he says when that happens, stop talking. Stop reading and sit. Soak it up because the aim is love and affections of the will, rather than the speculation of the understanding. As soon as one feels himself fired by the love of God, he should forthwith, right away, put aside all these considerations and thoughts after the work of prayer and meditation. It is well to allow the mind, the thinking mind, to rest and in contemplation, this just enjoying and sitting in and staying with love and the affections of the will. Fix all upon the Lord. We should put all, away all thoughts that may present themselves quieting, that may present themselves, we should quiet the mind, remembering that we are in His divine presence and no longer dwelling upon the th- details of divine things. The understanding can apprehend little indeed of God, but the will can love him much. So at the end of the day, St. Peter of Alcantara says, your understanding is only going to get so much of God, only going to be able to grasp so much, think about so much, but the will can love him a great deal. And so all of these authors just saying, when God begins to speak to you through spiritual consolation or being moved by experiencing God's love, or what St. Peter of Alcantara calls devotion, then we stop the other stuff to stay with that. And let me just give you one more clarification. The will can be moved to desire without a great deal of felt enjoyment. Right? Now this is a little bit of a nuanced thing. But people can, the will can be deeply moved, because it's a spiritual faculty, to desiring God without you feeling a lot of the enjoyment of God. God allows the feelings of enjoyment to come to tip you off on a direction to move with him, but they're not necessary. The will can be moved in a deeper way that we could talk about at some point, not today. The will can be moved in a deeper way, which surpasses even the normal feelings of consolation where one finds themselves drawn to god even though they have no enjoyable experience of him this also is possible in meditation it's a bit more of a nuanced thing many times especially as people are beginning prayer god will give them felt feelings and clear desires of wanting to be with him more And St. Ignatius of Loyola, when he speaks of spiritual consolation, is very clear. Like, so, you know, the cup of coffee may make you feel great, um, but it's not immediately spiritual. Every good feeling is in spiritual consolation. Spiritual consolation is an interior movement aroused in the soul by which it is inflamed with love of God, when it sheds tears that move it to the love of God because of sorrow for sin or sufferings of Jesus, or any increase of faith, hope, and love, all interior joy that invites attracts to what is heavenly. And so you can see all of these feelings that Ignatius points to as ways that God speaks to the soul and moves the soul are always moving it to God, an increase in faith, an increase in hope, an increase in love. And so the joy and the consolation, it's always God-directed away from myself. So this is what we should be listening for, in quotation marks, listening for in meditation are these movements of the heart that draw us to God normally in a felt way, but sometimes just in a deeper way. But it's always going to be with increase in faith, hope, love, joy desire for God and so this is why it's been suggested during prayer it's good to vary our verbal conversation directed to Christ with periods of silence where we can sort of leave that open space for him to move our hearts or to give us light and an inspiration, a thought right, like that beautiful thought that Father Stephen shared about today that was God I have no, no doubt about it, he said it I was like that's totally God yep, totally God but that was an understanding thing. But you notice it was an understanding image that, he, that came to him from his own life, but that God was using to lead him to a place of greater faith and hope. Right? I will stay in the arms of God. That's it. That's how God speaks to us. Through his little niece? That, the memory of his little niece? Yeah, that's how God speaks to us. Right? but we have to look at the effect of it because this is how we measure it more and more clearly and, and, and uh, safely. Okay. Um, and then I said, oh, and then on page 54, there's a summary of the whole thing. Um, soul talks directly to Christ. The conversation should be form, performed slowly, sincerely. Phrase in one's own words should be somewhat natural. Exercise silently. Don't start talking in the middle of holy hour. Protracted conversation but not necessarily continuous, leave spaces of silence to be sustained without tense, violent efforts, primarily for intimate friendship, being moved to God, and God speaks back to us through inspirations, illuminations, movements of the heart. Ja. Questions? Comments? Clarifications? Deepest desire, so, so the question is, like, thoughts, feelings, desires, which are most reliable, which are safest to sort of go with. Um, both thoughts and feelings can really be, can be all whacked out, yeah? Thoughts and feelings play off of each other is the thing. So a thought always leads to a feeling, practically always, unless it's like 2 plus 2 equals 4. You may not feel anything about that. But most thoughts we have feelings about, and most feelings engender thoughts. And there can be a real selfishness and fallenness in both of those areas. From thoughts and feelings flow desires. So my thinking and my feeling, desires, which are deeper parts of me, that actually incite me to action, right? And so there, our desires are also fallen. but. Let me see if this is answering your question. I hope I'm not missing it completely. I would say the deepest desires of our hearts are still fundamentally intact and good. The way that we want to play them out or do them, right? So I have this deep desire to be loved and to love. That's good. The deepest part of my heart desires that God possesses it fully. That's good. The way I may let that play out is I may let some other person possess me and let them be my everything and then this idolization of them within this relationship blows apart and falls to pieces. Okay, well that didn't go so well. But the deepest desires are still good. It's just getting in touch with where those are and sort of clearing off the trash from on top of them. That's how I would kind of understand it. How's that? Yeah, you're welcome. And we'll talk a lot more about this whole thing is something that I just go through time and time again during the year because uh, this is just life. Like this is real life. Right now you're having thoughts, feelings and desires. Father Francis Mary's talking too long, I feel a little bit bored, I desire to get the heck out of here, or this is awesome, you know, I feel pretty happy about this, and somewhat enlightened that I'd like to sit here and listen to more, whatever, right, but this is just like our constant, and this is where God works, and this is where the enemy hijacks us, right, so they're great questions, yeah, really, really good, anything else? Okay. Wonderful. Let's